Welcome. This is the Woodbury Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. We're glad that you tuned in, and if you'd like to know more about our church, you can find out all the information at woodburychurch.org. Or, we'll see you some Sunday, Sundays at 10 a.m. Looking forward to it. I would, uh, I would say Merry Christmas Eve, but that's not true. Uh, how many of you have some good tra- traditions for around Christmas Eve? Uh, anybody uh, put their tree up? I don't know. Some of you I know do it as early as July, and you guys are psycho. But anybody that does it, you know, probably the beginning of December, yeah, pretty typical. Anybody open Christmas gifts on Christmas Eve? Any families that do that? That is so weird. <laughs> what do you do on Christmas Day? You just sit around and look at each other? I mean, and you can't return the gifts, right, because all the stores are closed? Such a strange thing. Such a, see, if you don't do traditions my way, you're doing them wrong, I think is what I'm trying to imply. We put our Christmas tree up kind of at the beginning of December. Uh, we're not like one of those families like, hey, 4th of July, it's time for that tree to go up. Weather's nice, might as well do it now. Uh, but I want to tell you a little bit about our Christmas Eve family tradition because technically today is not Christmas Eve uh, in the Doherty family. And I don't, and, and actually, I really should say technically today is not Christmas Eve for any of you. Uh, the reason is, is today is my mother's birthday. <laughs> oh, yeah, so spattering of applause. Very good. Oh, it's starting to grow. Okay, that's better. It's wonderful. Now, I tell you that because my mother was born. Uh, where is she? She's here somewhere, right? Oh, she's in the wrong spot. Okay, so tradition, you were, you're supposed to sit over here. So my mom was born on December 24th, uh, but she's also a twin. So one of her experiences growing up when she was a child was that people would buy one gift for her and her sister for Christmas and their birthday. Yes, it's very, very terrible, I think I heard somebody say. So my mom has made certain that we distinguish separate and apart from Christmas Eve, her birthday. So today is not yet Christmas Eve. Today is my mother's birthday. Maybe some of you will uh, roast some chestnuts over an open, a, over an open fire too. Uh, so Mary Lynette Doherty's birthday to all of you. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> no, we're glad you're here and we're glad that you're using today as part of a Christmas uh, tradition. I know that we don't always get to celebrate Christmas Eve together. Last year we got to celebrate Christmas together. That was pretty exciting as well, but I'm really glad you're here. I'm glad you took a little bit of time to be with us today, and we want to make sure that what we talk about is worthwhile. Uh, I mean, it's going to be, if we crack open our Bibles, it's going to be, uh, but we want to make sure that we sort of take a moment to breathe, to recenter, to rethink, to refocus. And, and try to understand what's going on because a lot of us have traditions and, and you know that maybe things aren't shaping up to be quite what you hope they would be this Christmas. Maybe that person isn't going to be showing up for Christmas and that's kind of bumming you out. Maybe that person is showing up for Christmas and that's bumming you out. Uh, maybe you didn't have as much money to spend on gifts. Uh, maybe you bought everything for everybody and there's nothing left to buy, and so Christmas can be a little tricky with the traditions and wanting everything to be just perfect. I'm gonna I'm gonna take a left turn, and I want to tell you a story uh, about when Karina and I were first married, and I'm gonna bring it back around to uh, Christmas. The, the The story has nothing to do with Christmas time, but I want well, I want to try to capture an experience. I was trying to think of a moment in my life when I felt like, oh, life is not going well. And I know I set that up a little goofy talking about early in our marriage. 
or getting married was great, but there was a moment early in our marriage when I'm like, man, this is not working out. Nothing to do with our relationship, but just everything to do with life circumstances. Uh, for, for us, when we were first married, uh, we didn't have a lot of money. The most exciting night of the week was $5 pizza night at Little Caesars. I'm not, not kidding. And somehow Little Caesars has managed to just still basically be like five bucks. I don't know how they do that. I don't think it's because it's, it's not real food, I think is how they do that. But that's, that was our favorite, that was my favorite night of the week. I guess I don't want to speak for anybody else. My favorite night of the week. Uh, we didn't have a, a ton of money. We had a car that was on its last legs. And so we decided we needed to, we needed to buy a new car. And so we cleared out our savings account to buy this vehicle. It looked nice in the parking lot. It was used. It was $2,500. Just wiped us out financially to buy this vehicle. And we thought, but we need it. Anytime we're doing any driving, we lived in Oklahoma at the time. And if you live in Oklahoma, everywhere you go is driving because Oklahoma's kind of rural. So uh, no more Little Caesars night, you know, $5 night. We were just, we were just tapped. We'd gone on this weekend camping trip and it was 162 miles away from home. Uh, we were there over the weekend Sunday night, left, uh, left Sunday night, packed up, got ready to head out about 8 p.m., had about a two and a half hour drive, and I thought, this will be perfect, I'll get home just in time, we'll settle in, take, you know, rest, go to sleep, get up the next morning. Uh, about 50 miles, that's if all goes well, about 50 miles into the trip, near Mule Barn, Oklahoma, which is population zero, we started having car problems. The car started to overheat. Now, I didn't ask Corrine if she remembered this. I'm curious if she does. Um, now, I know you're not supposed to drive a car when it's overheating, but this car is our life savings. We've got to try to protect it. We've got to try to make it. We've got to try to get home so we can make money. Uh, and it's overheating. So I pull over. I let it cool down. I pop the hood like I know what I'm looking at. I have no idea what I'm looking at. Some of you were like, well, why didn't you just use your cell phone and call someone to help you? Well, that's because you were born before the year two or after the year 2000. We didn't have a cell phone. Remember, no money. I mean, some people had cell phones, but most of us did not. Some people had those car phones, those box phones. Those are pretty exciting. So it cools down. I start it. I get about a mile down the road, and it overheats again. And I mean, it's like, oh, this is going to be bad news, 9 p.m. or so. Uh, I pop the hood again, pretend I know what I'm looking at. This is rural Oklahoma. Nobody's driving by. Uh, it does look like the coolant is a little low in the car. Now, some of you are like, well, why didn't you, uh, uh, you know, I don't know, call your parents or a friend or something. Again, no cell phone. We're just in the middle of nowhere and you're just on your own. You just have to understand there was a time where you were just on your own. We were talking about this with my girls yesterday who have lived in an era where they get everywhere with the GPS. You know what I'm talking about on the phone? And there's some of you that are like that. Like if you were five miles away from home but didn't have your phone, you would be completely lost. They would have to send a search party for you. You're like, I'm at a Walmart, but I don't know which one. <laughs> so Mule Barn, Oklahoma, coolant doesn't looking good. You know, no light, no savings, no AAA, nothing like that. So I think maybe there's some water in this ditch. So maybe if I get a plastic cup, pour it in the coolant, maybe that will help. Some mechanics in the room are like, did you do that? Yes, I did that. <laughs> I'm desperate. So it worked for about 10 miles. And then it overheated again, and I pulled over, and 
Fortunately, this is rural Oklahoma, and there's a lot of trash in the ditches, and there was muddy water. So about every 10 miles, I would get this plastic cup that I had saved, and I would fill up my coolant with muddy puddle water, muddy Oklahoma puddle water, and make it about 10 miles. Now, the, the reason I tell you this story is because about the 12th time I did that, I'm leaning over, scooping up muddy puddle water, and it starts to get to me. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's no longer like, oh, this will be a fun story to tell our kids and grandkids. It starts to, like, wear on you. It starts to make you feel like, is this my life? You start asking questions. You know what I mean? God, I am really trying here. But I know really awful people that have reliable transportation. What gives, you know? And it's not like any terrible thing has happened, but you just sort of get worn down by circumstances. It's 4 a.m. on an empty Oklahoma highway, and I'm using a big gulp cup to fill my broken car with dirty puddle water, and I have no life savings. It's all right here overheating next to me. So frustrating. You start to hear in moments like that, and maybe that's not the story. Obviously, that's not your story. But in moments like that where things are just like, man, this is chaotic. It is not making sense. It doesn't feel right. You start to hear voices in your head. You start to ask questions. And you'll likely hear one of two voices. One voice says something like it's all meaningless and random and there's no purpose as you're scooping up that puddle. Richard Dawkins, you may have heard of him. He's a, he's a well-known atheist, and he just writes, this is, what, this is life. Some people are going to get hurt. Other people are going to get lucky. You won't find any rhyme or reason to it, nor any justice. The universe we observe is precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. He must be a lot of fun at holidays, right? <laughs> Around the table... Now, I think a lot of us, for good reason, resist that voice. We're like, that can't be right. Even if life is not working out the way we hope it would, in, in some serious way, we still don't want to give in to the fact that it just, it can't all be randomness and chaos. That can't be right. I think there's something in us. I think there's something divinely implanted in us that resists giving into that notion, even if our circumstances are difficult. There's this second voice, and that's the voice I want to talk about. A voice that says there is a light. Maybe not, maybe it doesn't feel like it right here, but there is a light. And that's the series we're in. There is a light. Ezra did a fabulous job of reading John 1, uh, 4 and 5 for us. In him was life, and the life was the light of all mankind. Light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then jumping down to verse 14. The word, this word that was in the beginning, that was with God, uh, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, as far as John goes, remember I've told you that John doesn't really lay out the facts like the other gospels. John tries to draw us into the experience. But in terms of the nativity, in terms of the Christmas story, the word became flesh is really all we get. That's all John gives us. He doesn't give us any, any background or anything like that. The word became flesh. But I want you to notice something that we've done with the nativity. Now, kids, if you're here, oh, thank you. Crane can tell that, yeah, you can tell my voice is going a little bit, yeah. Thank you. Um, kids, you're going to have to help me out here a little bit, because let's talk about the nativity. Adults, you can too, or you can nudge your kids and give them the right answer if you want. So we're going to build a little nativity uh, on the screen here, and so just, just shout out 
if, uh, if you can think of what, what should go there, and I'll just walk you through it a little bit. So remember, there were three, three people that came to visit Jesus from afar. They followed, right? Who were the three people that came to visit Jesus? Wise men. Very good. Very good. Now, some of you are like shaking your head like, hang on, I'm getting there. Just so we have three wise men, right? All right. So we've got three wise men come to visit Jesus and they need camels. We'll just put one camel in there. How about uh, could you? There we go. One camel. Um, now, there were also some other human visitors at the nativity. Who were those other human visitors? Shepherds, yes, very good. Of course, shepherds. And so uh, we got some shepherds up here on screen. And you want, you, how are you going to know? I guess they got the staff, but you have to have a sheep with them. So let's add a sheep to that. Tiffany, they're very good, very good. Um, now, you've got livestock, right? Jesus was born in some kind of barn stable thing. So you definitely want to have some, some kind of livestock. What kind of things might, been, might have been there with Jesus? A cow, right? And some sheep. Probably, yeah. Oh, very good. You guys are doing awesome. Uh, now, of course, in the nativities, maybe your mom has one on her mantle or on a, on a table at home. You've always got an, an angel or two, right? And, and I can't imagine what a new mom would want more than two angels playing trumpets while their, their baby is trying to sleep. So, yeah, we'll definitely want to add those. And, of course, uh, you've got the parents, right? Who are, who are, who are Jesus' parents? Oh, you guys, very good. Mary and Joseph, you've got Mary and Joseph there. Uh, and of course, the main attraction is Jesus himself. Now, I was noticing something. I was looking at some, <laughs> this is ridiculous. I was looking at some pre-Renaissance paintings of the nativity. And in so many of them, Jesus, baby, little baby Jesus is literally glowing. Like he is, like he's a light source. Like if Moses had, or not Moses, sorry, if Joseph had to go out at night, he'd be like, I'm going to use baby Jesus as a flashlight to, you know, shine the way. So of course, Jesus has to, Jesus has to be glowing. So there you go. The the modern nativity, right? That looks pretty good. Glowing baby Jesus. I think we should be a little nervous about what he ate. Now, like so many things, we've taken the nativity story and we've Disney-fied it. You know what I mean? Have you watched some Disney movies where you're like, oh, I know the story of Mulan now because I watched the Disney movie. And then you do a little Wikipedia about the story of Mulan and you're like, oh, that should not be a kid's story. <laughs> what in the world? We've taken things like the nativity and we've kind of just cleaned it up and scrubbed it up and everything's just looking good and everybody's focused on Jesus and Jesus is glowing. So, so of course, if we were to walk this story back, of course, Jesus probably didn't glow, right? I would hope not. Junior ate something. He didn't glow. The star wasn't floating around the sky. Remember, the wise men that came had to go ask Herod where the new king was because they had followed the signs in the sky, but it's not like the star was like a GPS system that landed right above the stable. So, the, you know, there wasn't, any, there wasn't any star. In fact, those wise men didn't even show up until Jesus was two years old. There were definitely no angels there. Angels talked to the shepherds and then sent the shepherds to go find, uh, find Jesus. I, I doubt the livestock were calm and quiet. I doubt they were just like, oh, gee, gee, I mean, what is it? What does it say in the little drummer boy? The ox and whatever kept time. Like what, what they were like, I don't know. What, were they drumming or what? It's just ridiculous. There were shepherds, but I don't know. Can you imagine you're a brand new mom and you've just given birth and three strangers 
show up and are like, hey, we want to, we've heard about this baby. And you're like, what is going on? I saw this nativity and I thought this would probably be more appropriate. Uh, I'm sure you can buy it somewhere, but it's just a better picture of what it probably looked like, an exhausted Mary and an an exhausted Joseph. And, And they probably didn't quite know what was going on. My guess is, these are, all, these are all speculations, but my guess is Joseph probably felt a little inadequate, a little insecure, like Steve was talking about, feeling like, I can't even provide for, for, for my wife and this, this child. I mean, I, I can't provide for them. This is, this, is why, this is ridiculous. Mary, I'm sure that it felt confusing. I'm sure the moment felt chaotic and, and what is going on here? But we've taken that and we've cleaned it up and we've made it something that, that seems more magical. I bet you the moment of Jesus' birth did not feel magical. It probably felt overwhelming and hopeless and exhausting. Google uh, has been running this commercial that I see when you're, you know, when you're watching football, uh, and it's this feature on their new phones where you can take a picture of your family, and if somebody's closing their eyes, or if your kid's making a goofy face, or they're not looking at the camera, it's this, this magic thing that makes everybody look like they're, they're paying attention, right? Or you can make yourself look like you're jumping higher, or you can make yourself look like you're a little trimmer than you are. And that's their selling po- point of the, of the phone. Like, you can take photos uh, and make them not look like reality, which is like the worst part of how we use modern technology. It's like, it's great, and maybe I get the appeal, but it's not real. It's missing real elements uh, of life and what's really happening to make it more palatable. So here's the truth. The word become flesh is an incredible truth. My guess that the word become flesh did not look or feel very special in the moment. In the moment, it probably just felt pretty mundane, even overwhelming. And we've taken elements of that story to make it feel more magical and more special and that we can display and everybody's focused on little baby Jesus. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, Paul writes it this way again, more philosophically. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was rich. He was rich. Yet for your sake, he became poor. What is he talking about? Did Jesus have a 401k? No. He gave up what and who he was. For your sake, he became poor so that through his poverty, you might become rich. But the, the, the poverty doesn't feel special. Now, there's all kinds of profound truths, and we're not going to spend a ton of time talking about all these things. But I just want us to, just to, to contemplate the fact that the, the most mundane circumstance in our life could be a miracle. Just the most, the most awful, why is this happening, I'm confused God, could be God orchestrating something in your life. And we just have to trust that he knows better than we do. It might, it might look like scooping dirty puddle water into your car at 4 a.m. on an Oklahoma uh, highway. Now, I thought about, you know, when I told that story, I was like, man, I sure wish there was some like point or lesson that I could have drawn from that. There isn't one. I don't have any point or lesson to share with you. I don't have any profound insight. All I know is that this happened and it felt unpleasant and I didn't like it. And sometimes that is life. Sometimes that's life and we still trust that God has meaning and purpose beyond what is going on in, the, in our present circumstances. 
Sometimes maybe God's miracles feel like giving birth on a road trip in a stable surrounded by livestock. But I think the thing that we need to remember is there's no situation, no purpose, no circumstance, no, no anything too far from God. There is no distance he won't travel to be with us. I want you, we're going to read this passage in closing, and then we're going to spend time lighting candles together, and then we're going to sing as we do this. But I want you to see, I want you to think about the profound truth of John 1 in light of the fact that God will move heaven and earth to be with you, to be with you. Notice what he said in the beginning. This is John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Verse 14, the word became flesh. What a profound, miraculous truth. And made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. So today, you may not get every tradition just right. Uh, You may not have things go how you want it to go. You may not have your family comply with your expectations of the holidays. It may not feel right. But if you can, just for a moment, step back and look at the bigger picture that the circumstances of your life are, are cared for, deeply cared for by your father and that he will do anything that he can to be with you. Emmanuel, God with us.